This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And I'm Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 209, recorded Wednesday, March 18th, 2015. It sure is. Thank you, Jason, for doing the introduction so well. My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for thanking me. All right. We are here, of course, to do our feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. It was called, what was it called? It was called Spend. Spend. That's right. Uh, a couple things before we do that, though. I know you're absolutely tired of hearing me uh, talk about the podcast awards. Right, 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 right. But right. Uh, I do have to keep doing it until voting closes, which I should remind everyone is March 24th at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, it looks like. Eastern Standard Time, it says. Even though we're in Eastern Daylight Time now, aren't we? Yes. Yes, we are. So would, would this time in March ever be in Eastern Standard Time? No. But people don't, I find that people don't really understand the difference between daylight time and standard time. It's best to just say Eastern time. Yeah. But anyhow, March 24th is when the voting closes. So we do have uh, six more days. So please keep voting. Thank you to everyone that has. To vote, go to podcastawards.com and choose the Talking Dead in the entertainment category. And then make sure you respond to the email you get. Thanks to everyone who's been voting. It's it's really quick. I just did it while we were talking about it. Well, that's we we're gonna we clearly need to podcast every day, Jason, so I can remind you to vote. Yeah, absolutely. All right, <laughs> that'd we'll be great. See, we'll see how we how that goes for the next six days. I remembered yesterday, and that was the day after the last time we podcast. So oh. uh, I'm doing pretty good. That's good. For the record, I haven't voted yet today, but I will. I know my mom has been voting, which is good. That's awesome. And uh, all of our friends, and hopefully all of our listeners. So podcastawards.com. All right, next on the agenda, our Ask Us Anything podcast. That is coming up this weekend, so please get your questions in by Friday if you can. Send them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com and put A-U-A in the subject if you don't mind. That'll just help me make sure I don't miss any in the email. And uh, don't be afraid to call questions in if you want. I know there's no subject for a phone call, but if you want to call the uh, toll-free line at one 866 4 Sorry, one eight four 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 eight three nine six six two. You can do that, or go to our website and click on send voicemail. Uh, you know, audio questions are good too. Did uh, did we miss that as a society when we invented phone calls that we couldn't, uh, you know, include a subject in in the phone call? I'm just wondering if that's that's a miss. You know, it could be. Uh, I could see leaving a subject in, with a voicemail. Like, you know, say you mention your subject and then the body of your voicemail. I don't know that a phone call really does know. it. Unless there Maybe was a it's way. it's kind of a combination of like a uh, caller display. Like when uh, yeah. I get a phone call, I can see that it's my mom, but I don't know what she wants. Mm -hmm. You know, is she, is she asking me to, uh, you know, to buy milk and eggs and then drive it all the way up to the Sioux? Is she calling me because she uh, found uh, $10,000 that I accidentally left in her house bef before leaving? Uh, to move down here that I completely forgot about? You know, I don't know. I would like to know what that subject is. Well, because those are the kind of calls you'd answer. 
<laughs> yeah, both of those I would answer because the first one would be, be uh, what are you, crazy? That's an eight-hour drive. And the second one is, I'll be right there. <laughs> the second one is, I'm on my way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so anyways, get your questions in. We've already got a whole bunch, um, but we want to get more. And and uh, hopefully we can get through all of them on that Ask Us Anything podcast. So that should come out this weekend sometime. Um, but uh, like I said, get your questions in by this Friday March the 20th, if possible. Uh, okay, next up is I'm going to play an entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest. This comes from Pam in Australia. You can never tell anyone, especially your mum. Because if you do, one morning you'll wake up and you won't be in your bed. You'll be outside the walls, far, far away, tied to a tree. And you'll scream and scream because you'll be so afraid. No one will come to help you because no one will hear you. Well, something will hear you. The monsters will come. The ones out there. And you won't be able to run away when they come for you. And they will tear you apart and eat you up all while you're still alive. All while you still can feel it. And then afterwards, no one will ever know what happened to you. Or you can promise not to ever tell anyone what you saw here. And then nothing will happen. And you'll get cookies. Lots of cookies. I know what I think you should do. I love the way she said lots of cookies. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) cookies are death. I choose cookies. <laughs> That's right. Always choose cookies <laughs> Yeah. when given that uh, those two options. Thank you, Pam, for sending that in. That was fantastic. If you would like to send that entry in, um, email it to us or uh, do it on, on the phone, and uh, we'll enter you in the contest for a great prize. Super fun getting all these, these you know listener reads of scenes from the show. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the ratings? For this week of The Walking Dead, Spend had 13.78 million viewers. Oh, that's almost that's uh, just above 13.75. <laughs> it is. Uh, I don't know why that's relevant, but it is. Because, well, it's 13 and three quarters plus a little bit. Because just a little bit. Yeah, that's down about a million, not quite a million from last week. So we're fluctuating a little. We were up for a couple weeks in a row. Now we're down a bit. And... Going into the last two episodes of this season, I would be super surprised if it didn't go up next week and then up again for the finale. Yeah. As my uh, my first drum instructor uh, t- taught me, if you accent everything, you accent nothing. So if we were like at a high all the time, it wouldn't be exciting. So we have to have these lows so that we can experience the, the exciting highs of getting uh, 22 million people for the finale. Well, that's what we're going for, eh? Twenty-two million. That's that's the benchmark that I've set for uh, my expectations. That is going to be an incredible feat of viewership if it can happen, yep. because you know the pre- the current record is seventeen point something, so twenty-two would be amazing. Now the thing is, spend is generally considered a very very strong episode. Everyone that I've heard from pretty much loved this episode, so. Yeah. Um, if my sort of good episode and ratings theory holds up next week is going to be, um, a really strong ratings uh, episode just because this one was so good. Oh, good. 
So, and then the next one is the finale. So it's going to be good for sure. But uh, there you go. 13.78 million for this week. Listener feedback. All right. Here's what we're really here to do. Our listener feedback show for spend. And our first item is a call from Ian in Massachusetts. Now, Ian's calling about the uh, the W's on Walker foreheads, which isn't really related to spend necessarily, but I have a feeling we're going to find out more about this very soon since there are only two episodes left. Right. We better. Yeah, so I thought I'd play it now. Exactly. It'll be disappointing if they don't address that until season six. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. Hey, guys, this is Ian in Massachusetts. My comment is actually about the episode from a couple weeks ago. Um, You guys were having a discussion about whether or not the W's were carved into the heads of live people or zombies. And I think you missed the third option, which is that the people, whoever did the carving, killed the people first. And then as some sort of symbol to anyone else who might come across the zombies carved the W into the dead person's head, then allowed them to become zombies and wander around like an undead billboard. So, yeah, I know it's a little thing, but that's what I thought was going on there. Figured I'd let you know. Love the show. Keep up the good work and hope you win the podcast awards. Thanks. Ian's right. He's right. That's exactly what happened. It makes the most sense and it's the easiest to do because you're not carving a W on a zombie and you're not carving a W on a live person, both of which uh, can be kind of annoying. With the live person, there's all the screaming and the blood and stuff. With the zombie, it's all the biting and the gnashing and stuff. But dead person, you know, just a dead body on the ground, carving a W, easy as pie. And is it some kind of warning, do you think? W for warning? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the meaning is, but uh, I think that's the easiest uh, the easiest place to carve a W is on a dead person. Well, you're yeah, that I totally agree with. Uh, I just wonder what it means. Like, why are they doing this? Ian said some, it's like a walking undead billboard saying, you know, we're the W gang. Watch out for us. <laughs> we're the watch outs. We're the, the wolves. Watch out for the wolves. Wolverines. There's a lot of words that start with W, including yeah. word. Yeah. And water. Whatever. (laughs) Touche. Next, we have an email from Josh in Indiana. Holy crap, did you see how the grenade blew Tara down so hard she busted her head open and might die, but didn't blow the boxes off the shelves in between them? Yeah, I think at the very least those boxes might have been on fire. (laughs) Or No, the grenade is a concussion grenade. It's not a... It doesn't start fires. It's like dynamite. Dynamite doesn't start fires. Okay, but uh, there is some sort of explosion that happens right obviously yeah. <laughs> yes. and on screen it sure looked like there was flame or fire yeah. maybe not very much but is that just a tv and movie thing that grenades it's a, always, i think it's a tv and movie thing they always I'm have pretty to sure have i'm pretty sure uh, grenades don't unless they're like specifically incendiary grenades of some kind well those exist don't they I, well i don't know i don't know from grenades i know hmm. my pineapple grenades and that's about it <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, it, uh, so do you think the boxes should have been blown down or at least full of debris? Uh, and I by, don't know. By debris, I mean shrapnel? Shrapnel? Yeah, I probably. You know, if Tara blew down, I think the box would blow down. Yeah, probably. That's right. She might, she might have a big chunk of metal in the back of her head or something. That's not good. Yeah, or maybe uh, it maybe it blew the box 
and then she got hit by the box, including what was ever whatever was in the box. And then, uh, you know, the, she bounced off the box, and the box bounced off her, and the box landed right where it was before <laughs> it blew up. She got pummeled by styrofoam packing peanuts. Yeah, probably. All right, Heather on the internet writes in, The inexperience of the Alexandria residents makes me want to scream. How can people living through the apocalypse not have basic zombie awareness skills? This especially is true for the residents that work outside the wall. Why, why, why do you think it's okay to blast music in a van? Not only does it attract walkers, but drowns out any other sounds from the outside. That's why I thought maybe they were only playing the music until they got to the gate. Because blaring music in the van outside the gate is stupid. But it's stupid inside the gate, too. No, because that's just to get the blood pumping, you know? It's uh, it's road music. It's... uh, it's uh, it's exciting. The thing I can is, see that. the thing is, they even mentioned in the episode that they use the sound to draw walkers away. And if you're in a van, a moving vehicle, you can be the Pied Piper and you can lead them away from wherever you don't want them to be, right? And um, so that, to me, makes sense. It's just what you need to do is you need to drive outside the walls, you know, a few hundred meters maybe, and then turn it on. And zombies that were near the walls will turn around and start following you. And then you drive slowly down the road and you drive them away. But if you turn it on inside the walls, you're just saying, hey, zombies that are milling around just outside, we're in here. So, you know, keep doing that. All right. So I think the moral of the story is keep the music down, folks. At the end of the day, probably keep the music down unless you're really specifically not near where you want to live. Yeah. All right, so uh, we have a bunch of people submitted the next uh, theory, thanks to everybody. So this first one is uh, Lee in Southern California. What if Jesse is the abuser and Pete is despondent because he doesn't know how to handle it? Maybe he's reaching out for help when he approaches Rick and says they've had a loss inside the walls too. Carol detects abuse, but she's biased in what it would be, uh, that it would be Pete. I really hope it goes this way. I think that it would make a very interesting twist on the domestic abuse front. Right. So a lot of people sent in this idea that maybe it's not Pete that's the abuser. Maybe it's Jesse that's the abuser. And they're going to sort of turn this around from what most people expect. And uh, Chris in the UK sent in the same idea, but he, he provides a little more evidence. He says the same thing. What if Jesse is the abuser in that relationship? Not only would it be an interesting twist on a familiar story, but it would radically ramp up the drama. There are some there there is some evidence in what we've seen to support this idea. For example, Sam's destruction of the owl statue makes more sense if aimed at Jesse rather than just being a symptom of unfocused anger. Jesse has been quite happy to flirt with Rick and hasn't shown any anxiety anxiety about Pete's reaction to it. Flirting with other people, often in front of their partner, is a common abusive behavior. Pete was the one running around after Jesse at the party. We've seen evidence of him trying to please her, but not the reverse. Pete's reaction to Carol at the front door works just as well with him as the victim. And finally, Pete's interactions with Rick become, from his perspective, tentative, tentatively reaching out for help. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I think that would be a great twist. All right, so... Uh, finally, this email completes the theory. Paul in Ellesmereport, UK. There's no real evidence of Pete being the aggressor other than the weird porch scene. All he does is have a drink. Is he drowning his sorrows and trying to forget the abuse? Yeah, so Paul, again, speculated that maybe Pete is the victim in this relationship of, of abuse. And, you know, he's trying. He's 
trying to drink it away, basically. So I think Lee, Chris, and Paul all have good points here and all might be onto something. And, uh, you know, I think we'll find out in the next two episodes, but it would certainly turn things around. It would. And be, I would find that very interesting, and I would like to see that. I think so, too. And, you know, it, it really, to me, thinking about it, makes sense that Carol would immediately go one way, right? She sees evidence of abuse in this relationship. She yep. came from an abusive relationship where she was the victim, for sure. And so in her mind, that's the only way it can go down, right? That's the only way these things happen, even though in reality, that's not true. Right. So I'm curious to see how this plays out, um, even more so than, honestly, what Rick ends up doing about it, I think. And we all know, we hope he doesn't just walk over to his house and shoot somebody. <laughs> or not do that. if he does, if the writers or the show goes that way, where he ends up killing someone strictly because of this... Let's hope he kills the wrong person. Let's hope. <laughs> well, <laughs> again, from a storytelling standpoint, I think it would be it would be really, really interesting if Rick ended up killing the wrong person, killing the victim instead of the the uh, abuser. That would be uh, interesting. It would be for sure. We will see. Uh, is it me now? It is you now, Adrian in Brisbane or Brisbane, Australia. As the group in the warehouse left Aiden to the walkers, would it have hurt one of them to put a bullet in his head to save him from being alive when devoured? With their marksmanship, once they got a few meters away to safety, it would have been easy to put him out of his misery. Were they conserving bullets? That's true. They should have shot him right off the bat, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, if they were going away and he was suffering, you know, put one twixt the eyes and put him out of his misery. Well, that's the thing. I mean... I, I, I'm on board with trying to rescue him and you, you have to, you have to try to do that. But once all hope is lost and you have to basically flee and he's there, I know it's hard, harsh and hard to do, but man, I mean, the, op, the alternative for him is to just get his whole body torn apart. That's not cool. Yeah. That's not cool at all. Glenn could, Glenn could have shot him as they ran away. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, next we have Emily from Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Noah's death was tragic and so well done. Uh, that revolving door might be the most creative thing they have done. It's almost like a saw trap, like the saw of the movie. Uh, Glenn broke my poor little heart in two, and who the fuck is that other guy who is so quick to bail? Uh, tech talk, uh, talking about running for it, ugh, talking about ruining it for the whole team. Yeah, talk about ruining it for the whole group. I mean, he just <laughs> bailed on his buddy there. What a, um, dink. What a dink. He's a he's beyond a dick. He's a dink. Dink is worse, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's... N Nicholas, that guy is not someone you want to be friends with. No. Because he's going to leave you to get eaten by zombies. Um, now, it's to true. be fair... He, there, they were running out of time, and he, you know, he wasn't going to be able to save him anyways. But maybe Nicholas could have been the guy to shoot Aiden in the head. Could be, and show some compassion. Uh, all right, Michael from Ozark, Missouri says the result, the revolving door scenes. To me, it's a two-on-one thing. Glenn and Noah could have outmuscled that guy and just pushed him out into the zombies and then escape while they munch on him. He did, after all, just bail on everyone. He wasn't worth saving. Well, yeah. But they wanted to save everybody, right? Th that's right. So, yeah, Glenn and Noah, they wanted to save everybody, so they didn't uh, try and out-muscle him just to, to sacrifice him. Yeah, and 
I don't know. I, who knows what people would do in, if they were really in these situations. Uh, like you said, they want to try to save everyone if they can. And just because they lost someone or someone behaved poorly, you know, just a few minutes before, doesn't mean necessarily that they deserve to, to be to be left for dead. That's true. I don't know. All right. Ruben in New York continues on this theme. Holy crap. Was I was so pissed off when that coward Nicholas left Glenn and Noah to die. I was happy when Glenn came out of nowhere and just knocked him down with a right hook. Glenn is becoming quite a fighter. And I think another listener pointed out that we did have, we had now three episodes in a row where somebody from Alexandria got oh, punched in the face. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so they're keeping it going. They're on a, they're on a three game punch in the face streak. So a three for three. Can we make it? Do you think we'll go five for five? Maybe. Uh, I don't wicked. know. <laughs> it would be good. I, I'm, I'm going to call it right now. The next episode, somebody's getting punched in the face, but I don't think it's going to be an Alexandrian. I think tensions are going to get a little high as Glenn and the group, who you know, what's left of the group, roll up back at Alexandria, and someone's going to get a punch in the face, but maybe it's Glenn, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Nicholas again. I don't know. Yeah, some I think somebody's going to get punched in the face. I'm not sure who, but I sure hope somebody from Alexandria does get punched in the face. I want to keep this streak going for the rest of this season. <laughs> Why not? All right, hopefully they'll do it. Uh, Kathy on the internet writes, What a brilliant episode. So many things to take in and process. I'm going to have to watch it again. Noah's death was sad, but I had to giggle when he told Glenn to not let go. Reminded me of that scene from Titanic. <laughs> I haven't seen Titanic in a long time, but or is she, well, uh, should I spoil Titanic? Well, it's from 1999, right? The boat sinks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's from, uh, that's from 1912. <laughs> yeah. The movie Titanic is from 99. <laughs> I think she's talking about the end, though, when some characters are floating in the water. Yeah, Rose uh, is hanging on to uh, Leo DiCaprio, I forget his character's name, and uh, kept saying, come back, or don't let go, or something like that. Something like that, yeah. I just remember King of the World from that movie. That's it? That's the whole thing? Two and two and a three-quarter hour movie, and that's all you remember? Uh, no, there's other bits, but if I had to pick out a line of dialogue, it would be, I'm King of the World! All right. All right, next we have Gemma in South Wales. Gabriel, what the hell is he playing at? I thought when he, we went back to check, when he went back to check Bob's leg had in fact been eaten by the termites, he had realized that this group was okay and that they had saved him on numerous occasions. Why is he doing this now? Well, we got a bunch of emails going forward here about Gabriel and what he was thinking and what he was doing. But yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. He went back to where the termites were sitting around that campfire, remember? And yep. uh, outside the school. And that's where they ate Bob's leg. And he found out that they really did eat Bob's leg. And so maybe the feeling was that what they did to Gareth and everybody was sort of justified because, you know, they ate their friend's leg. I don't know. Killing a bunch of people in a church, it's kind of hard to justify that. I'm sure, especially to the priest. Um but, but, but going to check, but show him, showing him going to check, you know, that Bob's leg was there. <laughs> right. Is got to mean something. It's, it's him going and trying to come to terms or trying to figure out whether he should join this group or trust them or whatever. 
and he found the leg. So that's got to mean that he's at least partially on board with them. But now he's flip-flopped and he's told Deanna that, no, these people are the devil and you made a mistake here. Keep me. I'm good. You need me, but you should cast them out. Right. I don't know. We'll see. I I, I don't think that uh, good things are are ahead for Father Gabriel. <laughs> probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, Doug from New Hampshire writes, I take issue with Father Gabriel saying our band of merry survivalists don't deserve paradise. He chose not to act and turn on a congregation looking for his guidance. Why is not acting more dignified than doing something to help someone or even survive? At least the armored pierogi acted to save Tara. Gabe cannot say the same. That is true. You know, uh, Eugene, a.k.a. the Armored Pierogi, he stepped up and saved someone, even though he was a total coward. Gabriel, he's been a coward the whole time, and that's about it. That's about it. All right, continuing on this theme, we have Michael in London writes in, uh, Do you think Gabriel said all that to Deanna about Satan uh, and the false apostles because he actually meant it? Or was he once again trying to hide his own guilt for abandoning his flock? I think the latter. Uh, take out the guys uh, who know his deep, dark secret, and he can, he can start fresh. He couldn't genuinely mean all that after everything Rick's group has done for him. Right. He's he's projecting his guilt onto them. And I, what Michael's saying is he can, he can if he gets rid of them, yep. it's like getting rid of his own guilt so he can start over, he can start fresh. Yeah, he should know better because that, that kind of stuff doesn't work. No? You know, getting rid of external, uh, you know, uh, aspects of your own feelings doesn't work because your feelings are still there. You can't get rid of external aspects of them. You just have to deal with your feelings. Sure, I guess so, but I don't think it's it's uncommon. If he's trying to, if he's trying to lie about it, like if he's trying to get rid of the evidence of it, the people who know, then that's one thing. But if he's trying to get rid of his, you know, if he thinks he can relieve himself of his guilt by getting rid of these people, that sure as hell ain't going to work. No, that's true. That's not going to work. But I think he's feeling that if he can if he can send these people away, I mean, they're the ones that know his secret, right? And yeah. I don't get the feeling he's going to reveal that secret to anybody else, right? He wants to try to bury it, put it behind him and move on. But having these people around, um, while maybe it'll be like removing his own guilt by sending them away— it's just getting rid of them so that this topic won't come up again. Right. So we'll see. But like I said, poor things ahead for Gabriel. <laughs> uh, Jim, who's a new listener, he let me know from Dorchester, UK. Nice. Says, I just finished watching the new episode and can honestly say that I was really, that I really was blown away by some of the acting. I thought Gabriel was fantastic, either consumed with madness, fear, or the urge to outcast the group now that he has a new place to call home. Carol is like a fine wine. She gets better and better with time. She is fast becoming a massive favorite for me. Yeah, she's been my favorite for uh, for a while. Yeah, you've been talking about that. Whenever we choose a favorite character, or we did that some time ago, yep. Carol was your choice. Even though she's gone kind of crazy evil Carol, oh, you're still Oh, batshit crazy Carol is the best Carol, Carol from of all the Carols. Psycho Carol? Yeah, it's it's knife carrying, uh, you know, brass knuckles carrying, stab everybody who pisses her off or makes her worry, killing little girl Carol, uh, scaring little boy Carol. That's the good Carol. That's the good fun Carol. All right. Well, it doesn't seem like she's going anywhere, so <laughs> we're going to get more crazy Carol. 
Yeah. So next we have Lee in Pontypool, Pontypool, Wales, UK. I don't know if you picked up on the biblical verse that Gabriel was looking at. The Bible was open to Leviticus, which is one of the main law books from the Old Testament, and the pages, uh, the page was ripped at the start of chapter 3. This would have revealed the start of chapter 5, which reads, If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge to testify regarding something they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. His testimony to Deanna at the end very much represents this uh, set ideas, in my opinion. Uh, it doesn't mean that I agree with him, but this may be a rationale for his actions. That he's got to speak up because um, he feels that uh, a, uh, an injustice or something wrong has happened. Right. So if there is a, you know, a charge to testify regarding something and you know something about it, you have to speak up. Or, or you'll be held responsible for or, it. And yeah. He can't deal with that, right? So he's speaking up, even though, uh, I don't know, I just, it just doesn't seem like it's something that he would believe, that these people are evil and don't deserve, uh, you know, this paradise. Well, and you know, this isn't heaven. This is still earth, right? He, he recognizes that, right? It's not like he's been going through hell, picked up all these demons, and then ended up in heaven and goes, you know, these are demons. You got to get rid of them. But that's kind of what has happened. I mean, when you consider the fact that this is the zombie apocalypse, you you could easily argue that you're in hell. Everyone is in hell now because monsters roam the earth and and all they want to do is eat you. But and, hell is not a uh, a sealed a walled town inside the middle of hell. No, I get that. Although there's you know there there is a gate. You mean heaven is not a walled right. town inside? The, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I get that for sure. But I think. I think in the scenario that we have, we've got we've got the world has gone to hell <laughs> and they've found a little pocket of paradise and right. and that's what Gabriel sees it as. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, this this sort of comes back to the broken window theory too, right? He's trying to point out something he feels is wrong. Um otherwise, he'll be you know, he he feels he'd be held responsible for it too. Could be. It's similar to your broken window theory anyways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's next? Brian in Texas writes, Gabriel is now the antagonist. What a great reveal, as I did not see it coming. Although I should have. He turned his back on his con congregation by locking them out. He turned his back on his vows by burning his frock, the collar. He turned his back on God by tearing apart his Bible. And he turned his back on the group by conspiring against them. He is not long for this world. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably true. The other thing Brian pointed out, which isn't really related to anything, except that when we were recording on Monday, we, well, mostly you, just finished, you know, criticizing how these solar inverters were packaged, yep. which are power converting devices. Yep. And then right during our podcast, the power fluctuated, which was kind of spooky. Oh, man, we should go to uh, get some power converters from Tashi Station. <laughs> we should, but if if you can just speak things, Jason, and bring certain things into existence, I got a couple of ideas. Yeah, I've got some ideas too. Money. <laughs> rain money, not yes. coins. Bills, please. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rain coins. That would hurt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we have a call from Simon in the UK. Hey guys, it's Simon from Bolton in the UK here. Uh, just a quick thing I noticed straight away in the cold open of the last episode. Gabriel walks around in this makeshift church, and he seems to be wearing a dog collar. 
And I wonder where this came from, as I remembered him discarding it in a fire by the roadside in episode 10. Just something I couldn't get my head around and thought you'd shed some light on it, as I doubt something you'd find just lying anywhere. Anyway, keep up the good work. Love the podcast. Bye. I just assumed he got it in, in Alexandria. Yeah, me too. I, I don't see why there wouldn't be one there. But at the same time, if, his, if he had a makeshift church set up in a garage rather than being in an actual church, maybe there's no Catholic church. Maybe that's the problem. He's a priest, right? Well, I don't, I don't know uh, about the, you know, the differences between Catholic and... Well, but he's, he's Father Gabriel. Only priests are fathers, if I'm not mistaken. And actually, that might not be true. I don't know. Okay, well, maybe there's not the right kind of church in right. Alexandria, so he had to set up his own garage church, and uh, I don't know, but you're right. I mean, you'd probably find a priest collar in I don't a know, maybe he made it out of an old cathedral. tire. Like he found a, you know, a set of white walls on an old Cadillac somewhere, <laughs> ripped off the, uh, the white part of the tire, cleaned it all up, polished it up, and made a, a frock out of it. Maybe it doesn't matter what it's made of. Maybe it's a thin piece of paper. Maybe it's a bookmark he slid into his collar. Oh, yeah, a bookmark. You know, it could be anything, actually. So uh, maybe it doesn't have to be a specific, uh, maybe in a pinch. And what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be an actual priest collar. It can be, uh, be any white piece of fabric or paper. Yeah, I don't know where he got the collar. Maybe he, uh, maybe he called it down from, uh, from God using his, uh, uh, his priest powers. Divine powers? Yeah, it's not, you know, maybe he used his, maybe we were talking about divine intervention a couple of episodes ago. Maybe he used his uh, divine intervention to call down a, a new frock. <laughs> you can do that once in your life, and that's what he called for. <laughs> that's right. It's probably right. a lesser power where you can just kind of snap your fingers and have a, you know, a holy symbol whenever you need one. I need a holy symbol right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, next call is Mark in Fort Worth, Texas. Good morning, gentlemen. This is Mark from Fort Worth, Texas, and I hope this makes the recap show, if not the review show or the customer feedback show. Um, I wanted to talk about a holy crap, did you see that in the sense of my own realization, uh, when uh, Carol um, finally showed me why she was being so resistant uh, to Sam. And I believe it's probably something everybody will say, but she just doesn't want to deal with the emotional attachment of another little kid. She's already had to see one of her daughters go uh, by the way of death. Uh, she took care of the other two girls that she kind of had an attachment with on the journey with Tyrese, and she had to kill one of them as well to see the other one dead. And I just think she has taken away all ability to feel emotion towards really anyone, but love especially. And, of course, the realization of what's going on at Sam's household. But I just wanted to give that little insight. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. So I think that's that's a good obser observation on Mark's part, that Carol, Carol is actively fighting against becoming close to a child again. Yeah, because everybody, every child she gets close to either dies or she has to kill. <laughs> right, and that's you know that gets that wears on the soul after a while, I would imagine. Yeah, and so in order to uh, to prevent that, she uh, she threatened him. Well, quite she, vividly. Right, but what she's trying to do is just make him stay away, so she yeah. she doesn't have to deal with deal with it, right? Because I think deep down her urge is still to kind of be a mother to this kid and. I think that shows a little bit when she realizes there's some sort of abuse going on here. 
you know, she goes to the house to try and confront or at least talk about it with uh, Pete and Jesse. And then she goes to Rick and, of course, goes off the deep end and says, you got to kill him. But she could easily just turn a blind eye and not deal with it. Yeah, but she, but she is. I think she is trying to protect the victims of abuse to a certain degree. One of which she believes is Sam. Um, I'm pretty sure Sam's probably not the uh, the abuser in the household. But right, who knows? You never it could know. Happen? Yeah, it, it could happen. Uh, so you know, I think I think Carol is trying to, or really, really wants to push this kid away and not have anything to do with him. But her instinct is to is to be a mother and take care of him a bit. So she's yeah. conflicted. Yeah, I would say that. And Mark also called this our uh, customer feedback show, which I really appreciate. Yep. Thanks, customers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, we have Alan in uh, Cambridge, England. Uh, it's true that our group are together and more experienced, but this makes them more inclined to take risks. Abraham and his muscle-bound physique may have saved Francine from the herd, but it was Tobin's instinct to sacrifice one life to save his gang of lesser mortal mortals really so unreasonable. And Nicholas may be a dick or a dink, uh, but if Glenn had followed his lead and left Aiden for dead, Noah might still be alive and they'd have brought Tara some val- bought Tara, Tara some valuable time. Deanna may have brought in the newcomers to help preserve the Alexandrians' little piece of paradise, but who can blame her if she's starting to wonder at what cost? So Helen here in Cambridge is one of the few people to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit on this episode, saying yep. that if they just left Nicholas, they could have saved the other people or or maybe had a better chance at it. Yep. And Abraham, you know, leave Francine to make sure that the rest of the construction crew is safe. The needs of the many, Jason. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Spock would be proud. He would, but... I don't know. I'm still, I still, and I've said it a million times, I still say you have to try to save someone. You have to try to come back with everybody, not everybody right. minus one. Which is what Kirk does. You know, Spock is like the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or mm-hmm. the one. But uh, Kirk always tries to save everybody. And that's his, uh, he usually does, except for the red shirts. Those guys, those guys are screwed from the outset. Nobody tries to save them, sadly. Well, sometimes maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched enough Star Trek to know. Um, anyways, I just think it's an interesting perspective here uh, from Helen that, you know, maybe sometimes it's okay to leave someone. If I had to choose in this case, I would have said leave Aiden because he was dead anyways. I mean, he was impaled twice on metal shelving. Not many yeah. people live through that. And if you take him off the imp- Im- impaled dev- the devices that he was impaled on, uh, basically those things are kind of stopping the bleeding. And as soon as you take him off of those things, now he's got these two really big friggin' holes in his chest. Yeah. Right? So yeah. there's going to be a lot of blood pouring through there. So what they usually do when they find somebody who's in that kind of situation is they cut the whatever they're impaled on and take the person and the impaling objects to the hospital to deal with. So I don't know if they had that option, but pulling him off that thing would have killed him within... 10 minutes. You're right. Um, I guess they take people to the hospital and then do proper surgery to yeah. get them out. Because, yeah, if you've got a large object stuck in your body, most likely that large object is helping staunch the flow of blood. Mm-hmm. So, so leave it there. 
Sometimes, so I, not all the time though, but sometimes you sh- it's better to leave the damn thing there for a little while until you can get it properly looked at by a, someone trained in such a thing. Well, that's what modern day paramedics are for, right? They're not there to, um, to uh, cure you or whatever, no. but they are there to preserve your life until they get you somewhere that you can be saved. Yeah, in the golden hour, they call it. The golden hour. The golden hour an hour after being in a major wreck of some kind, you got about an hour of, uh, I think they call it the golden hour. Hmm. I've never heard that term, but I, I, I see what you mean. Like they just, they just want to make sure you survive that bit on your way to the hospital. Yeah. So get you to the hospital alive. After that, you're not their problem anymore. That's right. They go out and find someone else who's in their golden hour. That's right. Uh, okay. Katie in the UK writes, and this goes back to another episode too earlier on. I think Abraham is infected. I noticed it at the beginning of the episode when he was splashing water on his face and at the construction site when he had his dizzy spell. I think the cut that Abe got on his arm a few episodes ago is now making its presence known. Really? So here's the thing about this. Is it possible that a scratch that Abraham, similar to what he uh, suffered, could be very, very slowly... Um, affecting him? Not from what we know. We've known so far. Yeah, you I either mean, die and come back, or you're okay. Right. You either, if you get bit by a zombie and you're not torn apart, like yeah. everyone in this episode was, you pretty quickly get a fever and die, and then come back. If you die of natural causes or you die of a gunshot wound or any other way, you, and it's not to the head, you die and you come back. Right. If you get scratched by a knife covered in zombie guts, is it possible that the, that the infection can just start taking hold very slowly, whereas a bigger wound, like a bite or something like that, or your arm getting torn off just accelerates it that much more. So I don't know. I mean, this is an interesting idea that it could be happening very slowly to Abraham and he's having the odd moment of dizziness before he snaps out of it and and moves on with his day. Well, if it is happening to him, it would be a new thing. Like it's definitely uh, something we haven't seen before. No, you're right. It That would be a new thing. So we'll probably just have to wait and find out. Um. I don't know, but uh, it could be interesting. It could be interesting. It could add a whole new wrinkle to it. Um, but at the same time, it sort of would contradict people wearing the stench coat or the right. gormaflage. I mean, if you put that gore all over you, it's bound to, you know, people have scrapes and cuts and stuff all the time. Plus, Well, our bodies are kind of designed to deal with that too, right? That's why, uh, you know, when you bleed... Uh, we're under kind of positive pressure on the inside so that right. if uh, if we get a, a hole in our outer layer, you know, skin, yes. as, as it were, <laughs> uh, that you bleed out and uh, the infection, it's, it's actually hard to get in because the blood is flowing out. Uh-huh. Right? It doesn't just sit there and mix with the air. It just, it flows out. And that's partly why that happens is to keep infection or keep, you know, dirt and stuff out. So if you get, uh, you know, gore on you and you have a, a scrape, uh, our bodies are kind of designed to keep the crap out of our body, out of our body. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually they don't really, 
when they do put gore on themselves, they put it on their clothing, not directly on their skin. Right. Now, well, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't take a big spoonful of gore and start eating it, right? Because I wouldn't do that with dirt either, nor would I do it with like regular animal intestines, uh, you know, at the best of time. <laughs> but uh, you'd have to be pretty hungry, I bet. I, I'd have to be pretty hungry. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I would probably would avoid covering my exposed skin with it. Yes, I agree. But I think a knife scratching through his arm, um, I don't know. I think it, I'm just saying it could be interesting. And if it's something new, maybe we'll find out more about it. But we will have to see. It's it's an interesting theory, though. That's all. It is. And it would be new. And I think uh, if it is, it's been a few episodes and it has been extremely subtle. Yeah. So I think that if they're kind of, uh, you know, if they're writing that into the show, it this is a very long game that they're playing. It is, but at the same time, you know, this would be new to the TV show, but I just realized that it wouldn't be entirely new to the Walking Dead universe. And maybe I'll just leave it at that. But right. uh, offline, I want to, I want you to cite examples all right fine we'll see slow it's a sl- it's a long con i almost said a slong con a slong con that yeah. works too all right all right next we have simon on the internet o-f-m-g no nope. o-m-f-g <laughs> oh my fucking god just to clarify exactly what that means carol sees a problem carol asks rick to kill the problem don't go and talk to deanna about this because they have a housing shortage and can't keep jesse safe don't go see Gabriel's counseling advice. He's never dealt with domestic violence in his parish before. No, just go and blow the valuable (laughs) surgeon's brains out. If Rick really wants to protect Alexandria, he should shoot Carol right now. Well, it's not entirely a crazy idea, although he'd be reacting, you know, equally inappropriately or equally strongly, which isn't appropriate. Carol is a known death machine. Rick knows this. Rick banished her because of this. So, yeah, if he really wants to protect anything <laughs> with Carol's involved in, kill Carol. Oh, my God. Carol is like Rambo on this show. She <laughs> She's lighting people on fire. She's threatening children, and she took out all of Terminus single-handedly. Yeah. Oh, and there's, yeah, there's propane tanks here, too, man. She's dangerous. She could blow up the whole town. Jeez Louise. She's been known know. to do it. You know, maybe Simon's on to something. Carol needs to be uh, restrained a little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a good idea from a story perspective because uh, I think Carol's awesome because she's very dangerous. Uh, but uh, from a, uh, if, they were, if I was really in this situation, I would worry about Carol. Absolutely. She is a little unhinged. Yeah. All right, here's a call from Angie in Birmingham. It's noisy, but I'll let her explain why. Hey guys, it's Angie in Birmingham. Uh, just want to apologise for any background noise. It's absolutely pouring with rain here. Um, uh, just wanted to point out that this episode was directed by, I think her name is Jennifer Lynch, uh, which is the one director you hadn't heard of and weren't sure about and were kind of convinced that she was just using her dad's fame uh, to get the job. Just wanted to say that she did an absolutely phenomenal job. Uh, definitely one of the best episodes of the series. And I think she's going to go a long way. Anyway, thanks, guys. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you, Angie. So I forgot to mention this, I think, on Monday, didn't I? That this was the one directed by David Lynch's daughter. 
We talked about it before, but uh, it wasn't. It didn't come up on Monday. Yeah, we talked about it before, and I think I said this was the one I was kind of looking forward to from a direct directing standpoint, uh, because you know she, well, David Lynch is her father, and right. he's a bit of a eccentric director. Um, I don't think this episode, while being very good, really stood out in my mind from a directing standpoint. That being said. I think the revolving door scene was pretty well done. Was and it was a one of the more interesting set pieces we've had on this show in a long time. Yeah. No, I I, I really didn't know how they were going to get out of there. Exactly. Like I, w- I was like, they're done. They can't get out of that. That's 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 an unwinnable situation. <laughs> and really, they didn't get out. You know, somebody had to die for them well, to they, get out. Yeah, and they had to be saved. By, and they, you know, Eugene. And they had to be saved by the yeah. armored pierogi. In his van of off awesomeness. Yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, I don't know. I mean, Jennifer Lynch did an okay job, but I don't know if it was anything special. Uh, but maybe she'll be back for more episodes in the future. Well, that's what she has to do. If she doesn't want to bank on her dad's name, she can't just be that eccentric uh, director just like her dad. What she has to do to, you know, to lay her foundation is to just, you know, do the bare minimum. You know, just get the job out and not make everybody hate you. And or at that's least, all she has to do. At least pave her own way. You know, right. do it do it her own way. Don't just fall in her dad's shadow all the time. Yeah, and she can't just be like way outlandish because I'm just like, oh, she's David Lynch's daughter. She's going to be crazy. So, you know, why would we hire her? No, she's got to do everything nice and even keel for a while before she, uh, before she does anything out- completely outlandish. So we'll have her back on the show and it'll be something nuts and crazy. Yeah, we'll get the we'll get the what do they call it the white, uh, what was it the white wigwam? No, it was the they had a couple of rooms in. Uh, yeah, okay. Twin, so Sam Twin in New Pe- York, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. I'm talking about Twin Peaks, and I'm talking about the two <laughs> different areas where I just I, I have a long time since I've watched Twin Peaks, and I've never seen it. You've so. never seen Twin Peaks? Nope. Oh, that was fun. It was David Duchovny's uh, network debut. As a cross-dressing FBI officer. That's correct. It was awesome. Yeah, I've never seen it. Maybe oh, someday. Good. All right. Well, it's on Netflix, I think. And they're re- and they're making a sequel to it next year, so maybe I should watch it to get caught up and then watch the sequel. That's uh, that's an excellent idea. Okay. All right. We have Sam in New York. While I love this, while I love this episode, I cannot get over the fact that our newly established badass Eugene decided to carry Tara out while bleeding from her head using a fireman's carry. She can't, uh, she'd have been bleeding profusely already, and that would have uh, only made it worse by sending all the blood to her skull with a carry like that. Yeah, he just flung her over his shoulder, you know, head down his back, and and he went on his merry way. You got to do what you got to do, though. Yeah, I mean, he needed a hand free, right? So he couldn't, like, uh, what do you call, like, cradle her with ba- both arms? Ba- baby carry? Baby carry, whatever. How, he couldn't how do you that. would carry a cow? Yeah, he couldn't cow carry her. <laughs> you were super strong. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure anyone can do that. Uh, maybe a baby cow. Wolverine can. Wolverine can, okay. Uh, he, but he needed a hand free, so he had to get her over the shoulder or just drag her by her hair or something, but I don't think that would have been appropriate since she was bleeding from the head. That's why everybody needs to wear webbing like uh, like Tyrese did. You're just you're wearing that kind of harness where you uh, like a bandolier from, uh, like Chewbacca wears, but only two sides, because that has an uh, that has an uh, w- works as a handy little uh, handle. If you need to drag somebody, you just grab them by the webbing and drag. 
And uh, since they're all harnessed into that webbing, you can just drag them to wherever you need to go. So, uh, yeah, make it part of the uniform. Everybody wears webbing. All the time. All the time. That way uh, you can drag people wherever you need to go. I'm going to start wearing webbing to work every day. I'm wearing webbing right now. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's next? Uh, that's you, Mike on the internet. All right, Mike on the internet. He says, it took me a while of frame by frame to tell, but the weapon Abe uses is a halogen work light. The handle seems to be the stand and the rope is the cord. It's a light. Oh, it's a work light. That makes perfect sense. No wonder it broke. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take long to break those things. Uh, if you're swinging it around at people's head, heads too, so. Well, he needs to find a, a morning star, like a true morning star, and uh, we'd have him in, in a signature weapon. That would be pretty cool. Him we have and a katana, we yeah. Have a morning star. We have uh, Rick with his machete and his big, uh, his, his big revolver, his big python. Yeah. But if you got um, Abraham with a morning star and Michonne out there with the katana as a team, that would be awesome. Yep. And, and a Glenn, little... uh, Glenn would have a shield from the riot armor. I, sure. I don't know where he would get it, but I think that's what he needs: is riot armor uh, shielding. It, it would become, they'd be like a superhero squad of zombie killers. That'd be awesome. <laughs> in a not-so-awesome kind of way. In a not-so-awesome kind of way. Yep. All right, next we have Michael in London. My holy crap moment was the real lack of care these guys show to the environment. The amount of pages of books and cardboard that got damaged was <laughs> unbelievable. In my neighborhood, such poor recycling would result in a fine. <laughs> well... Officer Friendly, Officer Rick, might need to start giving out fines for uh, non-recycling. Oh, that would really piss Gabriel off. Holy moly. Right? Just, I, I just All I'm doing is ripping up my Bible and being pissed off at God, and you give me a ticket, I'm going to get you killed. I'm going to tell on you. At least cast the, out. Yeah, I'm going to tell on you to the, to the leaders of this little town, and boy, you'll be in trouble then, mister. Well, I thought of something here, though. All of the, the world basically has no human population left, or very little, compared to the 7 billion that were on the planet before the zombie outbreak. Right. So I think the lack of people on the earth is offsetting the environmental uh, problems they're causing by ripping up paper and cardboard and stuff. So you think it's okay? I'm just saying it's probably offset by the fact that, you know, humanity is gone. Right. So if nobody else throws their litter on the ground, it's okay for you to do it. As long as nobody else is doing it, you're fine. That's not what I'm saying. Well, it kind of is. All right. As long as it's, it's, you know, it's kept to a very small scale. <laughs> I suppose that you have to start off on the right foot. If they're going to rebuild society here, they should do it with, you know, environmental uh, um, conservation in mind. Right. But I don't know, with, with six point. Nine 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 percent. Sorry, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the uh, population gone. I think the Earth is going to be okay. Well, the Earth is going to be okay no matter what. Well, yeah, right. Like we're all going to die out, and the Earth will heal eventually, and it'll be fine. We'll all be dead, but it'll be fine. And it'll all just start over again, and the cycle will continue. Uh, not really. Unfortunately, the uh, the amount of uh, uh, materials that got us here, like the, the the refined materials or the raw materials that we found in order to get us to this technological point in our existence, uh, 
if we were to do it all over again, I'm not sure that there's enough resources close to the surface of the earth that we would be able to get back here without yeah. deep mining. Well, that's so, right. Cavemen wouldn't, wouldn't be able to find the resources they need because they're all hundreds of meters below the surface, if not more. Right. But they would have like mounds of rusty cars and stuff that they could use. That stuff's all, like, you know, if they could learn how to refine that. <laughs> that's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, finally, Jess in Toronto writes, Next week, we could have one dead wife beater, one dead congresswoman's son, a battered cowardly Noah killer, and an unstable priest with PTSD insisting that they're all the devil. This has got real civil war potential. And that's, of course, if the wolves nearby don't kill them all first. God, that's good. Oh, yeah. So right when we have all the you know, the civil unrest happening, uh, these ex this external force is going to come by and say, Wolverines! And uh, <laughs> take over, or try to. It is going to be interesting. I think the shit is going to start hitting the fan within Alexandria, and then suddenly, you're right, this external force is going to show up at their door, and either chaos, just total chaos, will ensue, or the Alexandrians will come back together and somehow try to fight off this advance from the marauders. Marauders. And you know what? Before they came to Alexandria, if the shit hit the fan, it would just be relatively gross. But in Alexandria, they have power. That fan blade is going to be spinning. That's going to be one hell of a mess. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. But we only got two more episodes to go, the penultimate episode and the final episode for season five. And... uh I think it, I think it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to a really solid, exciting season finale here. Me too. 22 million people. 22 million. All right. That is all our feedback for Spend and everything else. Thank you to everyone who wrote and called in. Uh, next up for this podcast is our Ask Us Anything. Like I said, that's going to be recording this weekend. So get your questions in to us. We're going to have a good time answering them or as many as we can anyways, uh, send them to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or give us a call if you have a question or a comment or anything at 1-844-483-9662. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. If you send questions in over social media, there's a higher chance that I won't figure it out or, or see it. I try to keep track of all that stuff but uh, sometimes there's a lot going on facebook and stuff so uh do me a favor and email them if you can uh for questions anyways and put aua which stands for ask us anything in the subject uh, are you looking forward to that jay i am very much all right that's, that's going to be a, a heck of a lot of fun we've got some questions already um good. some of the samples that you threw out there last week have in fact been asked oh good 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 <laughs> so i hope you have answers <laughs> And, uh, but we'll get to that on Saturday. Um, okay. I think that's it for this week. So until the weekend, uh, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.